special intention for mankind and is defined as a man and a woman joined in a covenant of companionship in order to provide and, and to create a new family unit. Before we look into the implications of this, especially in our day and age, I want to say a word to those who are single. You may be single because you have chosen to be. Maybe you feel it's a calling from God. It was for Jesus and it was for the Apostle Paul. Or maybe it's just because of circumstances. But although we're concentrating on marriage this morning, I want to say that single people are no, uh, have no lesser standing in the kingdom of God and no lesser standing uh, in the church. We need single people as well as marriage. But we're looking at marriage today because it's God's provision for the perpetuation of the human race. And um, it's also because it's unique among human relationships. And also, by the way, it just happens to be a hot potato today. Our passage starts with the word therefore. And it's good to ask, what is it therefore? It's always when you get a therefore, why is it there? Well, if you turn back to chapter 1 and verse 27, you see the build-up to this therefore. Firstly, the man and the woman were both created in the image of God. If you look in the Bible, there are male and female characteristics of God. And it's so important that those are displayed to be the image of God. And so God displays his image through male and female, for man and for woman, and that's most important. They both have equal standing, equal status. But then in verse 28, we find that God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So they had dominion. So it's about procreation, to be be fruitful in the earth, to multiply, and also to have stewardship over God's creation under God's authority. The man and the woman were made for each other of the same substance. Remember man said, here is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, but different. They are different in order to be complementary. And that is physically, emotionally, and spiritually if you're married, then you probably know that your wife, if you're a man, has different insights into things that you do. And I think it would cover in those, those three areas. And that's why that the woman is complementary. It's a complementary partnership. It's a team. And uh, marriage, in marriage, they become one flesh, both physically and spiritually. The relationship this relationship is unique among human relationships. And it's the only one, as far as I know, where the Bible says that God joins them together. It's the only relationship that has that intimacy. And uh, any other union between two people cannot have the same status and blessing. Parents' authority and protection are left and the, a new family unit is created. This understanding of marriage is not cultural. 
It is foundational. It is foundational. And we tamper with it at our peril. I really believe that. And around 4,000 years later, uh, this is illustrated firstly by Jesus when he was discussing with the scribes and Pharisees regarding marriage and divorce. The climate at the time was that, that, that people had very lax attitudes towards marriage and men could divorce their wives for very trivial reasons. And uh, so Jesus speaks into this. And what he says, quoting Genesis 2, 24, our key verse, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, let not man separate. He doesn't say man cannot separate, but let not man separate, because it's a wrench, it's a tearing apart. When there is divorce, very often there is a tearing apart with much anguish. Then the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, when he's looking to compare marriage um, as, to, as to how can he compare it, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, he chooses Christ and the church to give that emphasis. And again, he quotes Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Right, today, uh, as never before, marriage as defined by God is under attack under great attack. <clears throat> Firstly, today same-sex relationships are seen as an, a legitimate alternative to God's design and by law must be recognised by society. Secondly, the word marriage, which has been understood as the union between a man and a woman for 6,000 years or more, has now been redefined to include same-sex relationships. And in the process of this, the politicians are really getting themselves in a tiz. You probably haven't heard this before, but I got this from Coalition for Marriage. And it said this, because what they're finding is that now you can have same-sex marriage, some of the original terms don't seem to fit into that. So 360 MPs voted to replace long-standing terms such as widow with, the ridiculous change, with ridiculous changes such as a woman whose deceased spouse was a man or that person's surviving spouse. So you can espunge widow, all right, but it doesn't mean anything. Well, it won't do for some people. It can do for those who wish it to. And thirdly, that cohabitation is becoming a popular alternative to marriage and seen as no different except for the legal element in marriage. Well, let's look at those in a little bit more detail. Firstly, the formalising of same-sex relationships. Uh, whatever my personal view of the way that society has embraced and legitimised same-sex relationships, I'm not here to judge the people. Right? I want to emphasise that. I'm not here to judge them but I am here to protect the purity of the church and to uphold God's standards. For us as a community, that's my major, major interest. They can do in a sense what they like in the world, but we in the church must hold, uphold God's 
creational order. And there's a creep that I've seen in society. That's not an individual, uh, but that's what goes on in society. It's where the politicians make promises, albeit in good faith, but they find that when they're under pressure, they have to compromise their promises. An example of that would be Sunday trading. Years ago, when Sunday trading was introduced, whereby shops and stores could open for a limited number of hours on a Sunday, Margaret Thatcher said, no one will be forced to work on a Sunday. But I'm sure there are many people who work in stores and shops uh, who would lose their job if they didn't work on a Sunday. When the government set out to legitimise same-sex relationships, they avoided the word marriage. And I think maybe we... Uh, side with some relief Um, and what it meant was that the word marriage could be still uh, confined to that one relationship that it's always meant Um, and of course they gave similar rights uh, to those who who were same-sex marriage uh, or same-sex relationship and they called it civil partnership and they had similar rights to marriage yet this allowed the word marriage to have its traditional meaning but then those who wanted to take it further, who, who felt they were put out by the fact that they could not have marriage for same-sex couples, they had the trump card. Now, you may not be card players, but I guess most people understand what the trump card is, don't we? It's a card that will beat any other card that's placed, that's laid down. It has a higher value than any other card. No matter what the value of the other cards are, It is the trump card. And the trump card in this situation is equal opportunities. And once this card is placed, uh, the politicians, the government, caved in and agreed to redefine the word marriage to include all committed relationships. Do you realise that we are bowing to this this edict of... um, of committed relationships and um, so that is the trump card Uh, and this covers my second point which is that we no longer have a word that describes God's creational intention for mankind defined as a man and a woman joined in a covenant of companionship to form a new family unit in spite of assurances given by government that uh, that churches will not be forced to conduct services against their conscience, pressures on us will increase. And sadly, some churches have already capitulated uh, and are blessing what God does not bless and they're condoning what God does not condone. Now we come to my third, the third thing that I believe undermines uh, biblical understanding of marriage and that's cohabitation. Um, In my lifetime, I've seen more and more women choosing to live together and not be married. I think most of us could think of the time when if people did that, they were called by a nasty name. I don't agree with that, but they were. Uh, But now, more and more people are choosing that. And in many, many cases, I must acknowledge that there are lasting relationships that are formed and children are well cared for and they're given a loving atmosphere. So why make all this fuss about marriage if cohabitation appears to provide the same facilities, as it were? Well, I suggest there are four good reasons why marriage is different from cohabitation. Firstly, 
It's a lifelong covenant entered into with solemn vows. Now there are those, um, of course, who choose not to make such a commitment, maybe because they feel it's unnecessary or because they fear um, that it may fail. But the marriage vows are not there to make people fearful. They are there to underpin and to strengthen the marriage and to provide a God-given way of providing a foundation uh, for marriage. If we build a house on a poor foundation, when the storms come, it will collapse. Secondly, it's a public declaration. Other forms of relationship are usually private arrangements. Marriage is a public one. It's an arrangement with profound social and legal consequences. Usually the families are involved and in some weddings the father gives the bride away. Sometimes he rubs his hands afterwards <laughs> saying, it's over to you mate, she's all yours. Okay. <laughs> but that's right, isn't it? There's... there's the family enter into it and uh, signifying that she is now part of a new family unit. Thirdly, it is a new standing in the community. Marriage acknowledges that a new relationship, uh, this new relationship has an impact on the wider community and must be recognised. For example, I have a wedding ring. That tells you something, doesn't it? I'm spoken for, all right? So don't come chasing me afterwards, all right? right. Not that you would, of course. Um, Fourthly, I believe it is the best environment uh, for raising children. Of course, we see all bad examples of marriage and also bad examples of cohabitation. But I'm talking now generally. It's the best environment for raising children. We see in Genesis that God blessed the man and the woman and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Marriage was given for procreation as well as uh, for companionship. And um, I've noticed that quite often couples who've chosen just to live together, when they have children or they're deciding to have children, they also decide that it's time to get married. And I think there seems to be an innate sense in us that marriage would be a better environment for raising children than any other environment. I referred earlier to the Apostle Paul's use of the Genesis definition of marriage. Let's uh, have a look at this as we draw to a close. You'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And verses 22 and 30 to 33. You may remember, if you can think back a few weeks, this was one of the passages that John Hosier used when he was talking about Christ's glorious church. And... um, the coming together of Christ and his church will be the most sublime event in the whole of history. When Christ and his church come together, the consummation of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the betrothed, 
Remember, he said, we are now betrothed to Christ. And that has its consummation at the end of the age. And this is where the whole of history is heading. Not just Christian history, but this is the event which sums up the end of this age, the coming together of Christ and his church. And when Paul wants to find some human parallel to this event, he chooses marriage. And then he turns it round to elevate marriage beyond that which would have commonly been understood in those days and practised by comparing it to Christ and the church. And we need to read this passage in the context of God's creational order. Uh, You remember that we read that God created both man and woman in his image. This means equal status and equal value. He created the woman to be a helper, to be a complement to the man. And therefore, this, in this partnership, I believe, man is given leadership, not domination, as we find in some societies. In fact, the leadership, you will see, is absolutely sacrificial, not self-seeking. Now, I do not honestly believe that same-sex relationships, however loving they are, can fulfil this order. So let's read it. From verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the, the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's that verse again. Genesis 2, 24. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you see how highly marriage is rated in the Bible, and how much the Apostle Paul, particularly in the Christian age, elevated marriage to this high status that it compares to the relationship between Christ and the church. If I've touched on any raw point this morning, I hope, uh, I'm sorry about that, but um, in truth we could have picked any subject this morning and many of us would find that we have not met God's standards and we need God's mercy uh, and grace in that. Um, But as the church... We need to fight for this true foundation of family life, this cornerstone of a healthy, 
society. And on this Mother's Day, we can say that marriage, as God intended, provides mothers with a secure environment within which to carry out the most important task uh, in society, and that is of raising children. It's the most important task, and so we honour mothers today. But the best environment for mothers is in the context of marriage. Let's pray.